This is your bonus miles. Here's Autumn. Hey guys, it's your girl Autumn Miles coming back with another super exciting episode. Cannot wait to share my guest with you today. You guys know we don't have guests on very often, but when when I'm like, ah, oh, yes, I love that book, we we get them because I know that there are things that other people are more, more versed in or they've just experienced what that I haven't and I want to learn too, right? Like we're we all need to learn. We've never just arrived. None of us are Jesus, okay? So my guest, I actually had him on a couple of years ago, and I don't know why it's hard for me to place the timing on it because I remember the conversation. I don't remember the timing. He wrote a book called Finding God's Life for My Will, and I do remember it was all about kind of settling down and like whatever, and it was a word for me that day because I hung up and I was like, Autumn, get your life together. Um, he, you, you might know him best. He was the lead singer from 10th Avenue North, which, uh, me and my youth group totally jammed to when I was um, growing up. Uh, but guys, he's kind of branched out. He's writing books now. He's got his own podcast, Chasing the Beauty podcast, which I love that. He's married to a beautiful wife with four daughters. Um, so he's got a lot going on, but I wanted to have him back and welcome him because of the book that he has just released called Grace in the Gray. So I am going to go ahead and introduce him. His name is Mike Donna Hay, right? Donna Hay, Donna, Donna Hay, <laughs> Donna Hay, however you want to say it. See, every time I start a podcast, I say, hey, hey, it's your girl. That's like my tag thing. Yeah, so when I, I see, you know, anyway, I got to play off of that. Yeah. Uh, welcome to the show, Mike. I'm so glad you're thanks here. For, thanks for having me back. What a lovely I, time. I love your book already. Thanks. I want to just get into talking about it because it is practical and we are kind of time locked here. You wrote a book called Grace in the Gray. And the reason I love this book is because, let me make sure I get the tagline right. Where is it? A more loving way to disagree. <laughs> as soon as I heard that, I was like, mm, yeah, a more loving way to disagree. Hello, culture that hates each other right now. Mm -hmm. um, we, need, we need this book. We need to talk about what's in the contents of this book. Talk to me about why you wrote this book and what is the heart behind what you're doing. Yeah, I would say probably the impetus was really 20 years of playing in all kinds of churches all over America. And, you know, I probably played in over a thousand different churches and probably every denomination you can think of. And what always struck me is just how much more unified the church actually is than they realize. Mm. And I just felt like we let these little disagreements just become way larger than they ought to be. Mm. And uh, so I was like, you know, because I always find myself arguing with people online because I'm not shy to present my opinion. And over the last couple of years, I've really felt convicted that I need to stop trying to win arguments mm. and start trying to lean in to the other person's position, even mm. if I don't agree with it. And that mm. and really what I'm trying to say in this book is is two things. One 
uh, you know, you said like a more loving way to disagree. Shouldn't that be a better way to destroy my opponents in arguments? Mm. You know, shouldn't the subtitle be how to win every time you try, you know, you fight. And the truth is, um, when you're having disagreements, a lot of us think that's a sign that something's wrong with our relationships. Mm -hmm. And what I want us to understand is, no, if you're having disagreements with people, that's a sign that you're actually in a relationship. Mm. Because if everyone around you agrees with you all the time, you're really just in a relationship with yourself. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I hate boring relationships. Um <laughs> Like if someone's not, if I'm not like being challenged or like able to have a conversation that it's like, dude, you are so not right. Um, but I love you anyway. I don't know. I kind of just kind of step back from those. I don't want to be in a relationship with a carbon copy of myself. That's the way, I don't know why, maybe I'm a weirdo. That's just kind of how I am. I love to see different uh, people's points of view um, because I want to be better. And I think right. there is almost a, a veil or a barrier, especially, and I think you even talk about like the pandemic that polarized everything. What, mask, no mask, you know, Democrat, Republican, this guy, that guy, you know, whatever. We became so polarized during that time. And not that it wasn't there before. I just think it... Like the pandemic played on everyone's emotions so much that we were just over being nice about it. And um, I think it really revealed a culture that was incredibly unhealthy. That's why I, I really, really love this book. I want you to talk a little bit about disagreeing with someone in a loving way because... I get people all the time that are like, my uncle's coming to Thanksgiving and I don't agree with his lifestyle or so-and-so is Methodist and what's wrong with them? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or so-and-so, you know, thinks this about all the social issues and justice issues and stuff like that. What would be a proper way, healthy way to disagree with someone? Can you just kind of walk me through a practical conversation before we get into some of these other questions that I have? Yeah, absolutely. And because we don't have a ton of time, I'll just cite Paul's advice to Timothy, who's a young pastor. Uh, and I'm kind of annoyed at Paul because he basically summed up my book in two sentences. Uh, but he basically says to Timothy, and he thinks he's about to die, and he's writing his last letter to his protege pastor. And he says, hey, Timothy, avoid foolish controversies. And he says this, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Mm. Ouch. And everyone's like, I'm not quarrelsome. It's like, okay, ask your friends and your family. That's right. the only way you're going to know if you are. Right. Um, be kind to everyone. Mm. Everyone? Yeah. Really, Paul? Everyone. Then he says he, have, he must be able to teach. Mm. And that's tough because we love to run our mouth about stuff that we have no idea is happening like we and that was really on display in the pandemic people running their mouths about things way before there i mean was we had any... scientists everyone was a doctor everyone yeah. was like a professional politician yeah. it was like uh i'm pretty sure you like you know you, you're not any of those things anyway so that was yeah funny. Go ahead. he says able to teach patiently enduring evil it's mm. like okay yes. i don't want to endure evil 
And I certainly don't want to do it patiently. Like, mm-hmm. is this a misprint? You know, page, what? Surely that's not what we're supposed to do. And then he says this, says, correct his opponents. So we love that. Well, yeah. Okay. Okay, Paul. I'm in. I I'm love in. correcting I got people. It. I'm good at that. But then he, then he adds this caveat with all gentleness. Mm-hmm. And I, and I looked up the Greek of that. Apparently it means with all gentleness, <laughs> you know, yeah. and we go, well, you mean my posture is as important as my position? That can't be true because I need to change people. Mm-hmm. And so I have to say it however offensively I need to say it because they need to hear the truth. But Paul adds this qualifier, and I think this really hits us. He says, perhaps God will grant them repentance leading to the truth. Oh, yes. So he just Love said, it. this is so annoying. Your job is to tell them, but the reason you have to consider your posture and do it gently and be kind when you do it is because ultimately you're not the one that changes people. Mm-hmm. And then you have to ask, God will grant them repentance. Romans 2, 4. How does God grant repentance? Through what? Through his kindness. Mm-hmm. And what I've discovered is curiosity and kindness in our disagreements will open far more doors than debate ever will. Yeah. Okay. I have a lot of thoughts. It's interesting. You know, you, I mean, I have people that I disagree with all the time, but one of the things that I, um, several years ago when God was like, like I told you before we went on, shut up on him, just stop talking. Um, I realized that most people I disagreed with on things, I had a lot more in common with them than what I disagreed with them on. Um, you know, we have kids, we're married, we, you know, like to go shopping or whatever it is. We like music or whatever. And it's very interesting how that's, I began to learn a different perspective and a different way, not different principles, but a different way of thinking when I started realizing, wow, we have so much in co- like I want to be your friend because we have so many things in common um, than the things that that divide us. And I think that's what you said maybe when we started talking is you started traveling and you saw that being in a thousand churches or whatever it was, most people agreed more than than with what we disagreed on. Tell me about some of those revelations when you realized, wow, we actually aren't that divided. We're more unified than that. Yeah, I think. You know, like, for instance, when you grow up Protestant, you're kind of told, like, Catholics, they are, they don't have a right. And then you go to Catholic Mass and you go, yeah. I'm on board with everything they're saying. Or then right. my buddy uh, George, his dad was the, the priest at the Greek Orthodox Church downtown, and he brought me to this big Greek Orthodox festival. And I'm like, we're, we're so on the same page. I don't understand. And it's like, yeah, but they baptize their babies. And you, and you go, is that, and I'm, I, again, some people will hear me say that and go, yes, that is a deal breaker. Yeah. And what I think is really fascinating, I was talking on a worship leader podcast yesterday, was there's a lot of churches who don't want to hear dissenting opinion. Right. And quite frankly, because they're exhausted by it. Because people are complaining about the carpet and they're complaining about the lighting and they're complaining about the sound decibels and all that. And so I think they're 
there comes a point where church leadership just goes, Hey, you know what? We're just tired. Mm -hmm. Just shut up. And I think it's really fascinating that in Ephesians 4, Paul says, hey, this is, these are the five different kinds of people that God has given the church to attain unity and peace. Mm-hmm. Do you know what they are? Mm-hmm. He says apostles, teachers, teachers shepherds, prophets, evangelists, yeah. evangelists and prophets. And what's fascinating is most churches have maybe two of those. Yeah. Why don't they have all five? Because they're controversial. Because they'll constantly (laughs) disagree. So it's so counterintuitive. Here Paul's saying, in order to attain real unity, Mm -hmm. you need all these people who disagree. Mm -hmm. So in other words, if your church isn't inviting dissenting opinion, you don't have real unity. Mm. You you have a stalemate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and that's where in Proverbs, this is really what like really put my the burden in my heart to write this book. I think 15 different times it says a wise man loves correction yeah, and a foolish man hates it. And so if I want to not be a fool, I need to keep my posture open to go, tell me where I've got it wrong. Yeah. Don't you think people are kind of scared to do that right now? Because it's almost like the, I don't know, you wrote a book on deconstruction, uh, chapter on and I want to talk about that here in a second but I think um the church is kind of all over the place right now I mean if we're just if we're going to take the like just the secular world out of it and focus on the church here for a second I feel like people that have been wounded by the church lots of wounds lots of church wounds out there I mean everyone if you've been in church longer than one year and you don't have a church wound like (laughs) like anyway it's just a thing and a lot of people don't want to open up and don't want to say, tell me where I'm wrong because maybe they've done that in the past and someone has wounded them because of it. There is a chapter in your book called Deconstructing Deconstruction. I love that title. Can you talk to me about that specific chapter? Because a lot of people, if they're not coming out of that season, they are entering it. It's it's mm-hmm. very It's very trendy right now. It is trendy. And, you know, church wounds is not a trend. That has always been. Because most of the time, I don't want to say all the time, but I would say most of the time, church wounds are really just people wounds that happened in church. Because mm-hmm. what is the church? It's it's people. And so, of course, like, of course you're going to get wounded. And... Of course, the church is going to be defensive and defeated Mm -hmm. because it's full of people. But we believe ultimately that the gospel is the cure for defensiveness and defeatedness. Mm -hmm. Because when I get told I'm wrong, those are usually the two ways I go. Yeah. And the gospel says, actually, you ought not be defensive because to start this whole thing, you had to say, I need divine intervention. So it shouldn't come as a great shock to you that you still get it wrong sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then praise God, I was so screwed up. I needed divine intervention, but I was so loved that he was glad to give me divine intervention. So that pulls me out of my defeatedness too, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not proud and I'm not, so, I'm not Eeyore, you know, I'm, I'm freed up to not think about myself. And yeah. When it comes to deconstruction, you know, I, I talk at length about my friend John was in this band called Hawk Nelson and 
you know, he went public during the pandemic online saying, you know, I don't know if I believe in Jesus anymore. And obviously that was really rattling to a lot of people, but really wasn't a big story. It wasn't a big deal. In fact, if you read through the comments when he first posted that, all of his musician friends came rushing in on the comments and going, bro, I'm here for you. I love you. Thanks for being honest. I'm here for you anytime you want to talk. And it didn't really get hostile until a news entity ran a story on him. And once that happened, yeah. all of a sudden the comments went, and, yeah. it was, and people just losing their minds. And what's funny is the people who were so angry at him weren't the people who know him. Mm. Um, because I'm really intrigued. You know, we just went through Christmas. And in Luke chapter one, you've got two visitations from angels declaring supernatural births. Mm-hmm. You've got one to Zechariah. And you got one to Mary. And they both say the exact same thing. Zachariah goes, how can this be? Elizabeth is old. And then Mary says, how can this be? For I'm a virgin. And you've got the angel going, you're going to be cursed with mutinous there, Zachariah, because you didn't believe the word that I brought to you. Mary says the same thing. He goes, blessed are you, Mary, among women. What? What's going on here? And, (laughs) And some would actually argue that even the mutinous that Zachariah is struck with is actually kind of a severe mercy. Mm. I mean, as a man, I'm honest. I go, that's that'd a be good great. point. That'd be great. If I just, God was like, just shut up. Just, I'm going to stop you from talking. I'm like, my life is actually a lot better because <laughs> I'm not putting my foot in my mouth all the time. Um, and it, and it's fascinating that the first thing he says is his name is John, which means God is gracious. Yeah. You know, so, but the, the point being, it seems in that story that the intention of the questioning is different. So you can, mm. you can look just like someone else deconstructing and you could be on a really great path back to an honest uh, intimacy with the Lord. And other people could be saying the same thing where they're just trying to cement their doubt, you mm. know, and it, and here, here's what I want to say. I've probably talked too much, but what no, we're doing in an interview, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. I love um, it. Yes. But, one of the parables that annoys me the most, especially my pride, is this very, it's, it's not often quoted or taught on. And I even grew up in a Christian school and I hadn't even read this parable until like 10 years ago for the first time. And it's this weird parable where Jesus says, hey, there's this landowner. And for whatever reason, he, he's, I imagine him as like Marlon Brando, okay? And, and he's like, <laughs> there's this landowner and he's got all this wheat and an enemy goes into the field and plants weeds in his wheat. Mm. And when the weeds grow up, the workers, they go, hey, boss, hey, boss, can we tear out the weeds? And the owner goes, no, leave them in. And they go, what are you, what are you talking about? What are you talking about, boss? Like, th- there's weeds everywhere. We got we to gotta tear them out. We're really good at tearing out weeds. <laughs> and, the, and the owner goes, no, leave them in. You go around trying to tear out all those weeds, you're going to tear out all the wheat too. (laughs) Think about how many people bemoan Mm. deconstruction. Mm. Oh, these deconstructionists. The church would be so much... I've heard some people on their podcasts basically condemning deconstructionists, saying the church would be so much better if there weren't any weeds in it. The church would be so much better if there weren't these moral failures. The church would be so much better. Yeah, guess what? There wouldn't be a church. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so annoying. 
that God says, leave them in. So I think when all this stuff started, I would be one of those people. And yeah. I had this realization where I was like, how dare you? Like, how dare you? <laughs> and then I remember I was talking, we had, I did a big show on it one time. And um, the sh before I did the show, the Lord uh, did a, just said, Autumn, do you remember 20 years ago? Do you remember when you told me, although you've been in church your whole life, because my dad's a pastor, you know, the whole thing, you don't believe in me? Do you remember that? Do you remember what I did? Do you remember how I solidified your faith? I didn't turn my back on you. And I'm telling you what, it rocked me to my core. Mm. Deconstruction is not new. It's been happening for centuries. <laughs> I mean, this is not a new thing. Well, but I think the yeah. pandemic made us look at our faith and say, dude, are you in or are you not? And it brought, it kind of peeled back the veneer of Christianity. And we had to start even questioning our faith because I mean, things were getting real during that time. So it gave me a lot more grace because then I remembered, Oh yeah, 20 years ago. That's what I did. It just called something different back then. That, that's beautiful and exactly right. Because the annoying thing about that parable is like I said before, it's not our job. Yeah. We correct with all gentleness, which means we don't go through the garden, ripping out weeds going, believe or get torn out we say we get down on our knees in the soil and we whisper to the weeds i yeah. think you're a wheat yeah and i wish you believe it and deconstruction is actually as old as the <laughs> disciples when you think about they wanted jesus they believed in their heart of hearts that jesus was coming back to lead them against a military conquest over rome mm-hmm that's why Peter is chopping people's ears off. That's why John and James are arguing about who's going to get to sit on the throne. They did not sign up for martyrdom. Mm -hmm. They did not sign up to die and bless their enemies. They were signing up to conquer, conquer. their enemies. Right. And so that, that's why this pandemic has brought to light, hey, if you came to Jesus because he gives you political power over your adversaries, you got stripped of that because that was never the point. Uh, I probably could talk to you about that subject all day long. I do want to <laughs> talk about other things. This stuff is just interesting. See, I'm already hearing your perspective too. And I love, I just love to hear the different perspectives of this. Um, I want to get back to the whole disagreeing in a loving way thing and talk about it just in regards to your family. I have four kids. I have two teenagers and two seven-year-olds. My life is crazy. Uh, but you have four kids too, so you know that. You know that whole vibe. <laughs> you have, I have, I have two daughters. boys and two girls. Okay, you have four girls. Okay, so there's, I'm sure they're not as dramatic as my girls. Um, but I do know that there's a high level of drama in my house uh, because of the girls. So when you talk about this, we want to disagree in a loving way. That's what I'm teaching my kids. I don't want any one of my kids to be a wolf. We're just not those people. We're, we, we are opinionated because we're leaders. I'm raising leaders at my house. And I think there is a healthy way to raise leaders respectively who respect other people but also aren't afraid to say, this is how I feel. Um, tell me about your thoughts about this. 
What do you yeah. do? Because we have a lot of ministry leaders that listen to the podcast and we have a lot of parents that listen to the podcast. How do you do that in your home? Uh, that's a question that you guys actually sent us. And I think it's really, really cool. How are you training your kids? Because I know I know you're a big leader, too. How are you training your kids to be like, listen, we don't have to agree on everything um, and do it in a loving way? Yeah. Well, first of all, having four daughters, I mean, someone's always crying in my house. And sometimes <laughs> sometimes my girls are crying, too. Uh, oh, got it. So you asked that question, and I'd love to sit here and be like, I'll tell you the secret of what we're doing. Honestly, I just <laughs> That's like one we're... of the questions y'all sent us. And I was like, no, ooh, I, I'm going to ask him that. My book agent sent you that question, not me, because <laughs> it's exposing. <laughs> I go, I feel like we don't do this well at all. I mean, our girls are constantly freaking out on each other. And it's, <laughs> so it's a constant process. And here's my most practical advice that I tell my daughters and I, I mean, I was just texting with a buddy who's in a big disagreement with his wife. I'm t I was texting him late last night because they are having this big issue. And he's telling me everything his wife is saying. And this is what I ask him. I go, could you text that to me again? But text it to me as if your wife is texting me. Mm. And text <laughs> her argument so, so well that if she read the text, she would say, yes, that's exactly what I've been saying. Yeah. <laughs> and when you start an argument that way, because what we usually do is you, we go, oh, so what you're saying is that all the people in the world should blah, blah, blah. Well, let me <laughs> tell you something. But if you could stop and say, so let me, let me see if I've got this right. You ask clarifying questions and you go, so what you're saying is, and if you can present someone's argument to them in such a way that they go, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Now you can begin to have the disagreement. But most of us, high, we, we haven't even really understood what the other person is saying. Mm -hmm. We've understood our distortion and our characterization of what they're saying is. And so we're fighting against not even what they're actually trying to say. Mm -hmm. And I would say this, I, I go running with my buddy Mark every week, and he always texts me to run when he, uh, he's got some quandary he wants advice on. I think he views me as like a free session. running therapist. We've, <laughs> we've talked about like an Instagram running therapy, you know, uh, I probably do well. I know. Right? He, he said my wife and I, so his wife travels to Africa for her job all the time and he's a mm. musician. So when the vaccine came out, they agreed she would get it and he wouldn't just in case like maybe something's crazy with it. And <laughs> da, 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 da. Yeah. so I'm not here to talk about that. But they've been in an argument about the vaccine for two years. Wow. So they're in counseling and we're running. He goes, bro, we had this breakthrough. I go, well, what's the breakthrough? He goes, I finally understood what my wife was saying. I go, wow. wait, 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 wait. So you don't, you guys never came <laughs> to an agreement. Years. <laughs> and he, and he goes, he goes, it's amazing. I, I, so I said back to her what I finally understood she was saying. And she went, yes. Yes. And most of us don't need to be agreed with. We just want to really be seen and heard. And if yeah. we are truly seen and heard, then we're okay if someone has a dissenting opinion. Yeah. That's so funny. My several years, I've been married 19 years and that's exactly what I said to my husband because he is a, he's a fighter too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we just love to disagree over here. I think 
think it's fun, kind of. Beautiful. You know, it's kind yes. of fun. Um, but several years, I mean, on stupid stuff, like, you know, I like broccoli and you hate it. Like, you're like, why would you say, you know, stupid stuff like that. But matters of the heart, it's totally different. Um, I remember several years ago, we were like, I'm like, this is not working. Our communication is just not working. Like, ugh, everything you say, I hate. Everything I say, you don't hear. And I told him, I said, this is what I want you to do. When I tell you something, I want you to think about it for 24 hours. And mm -hmm. I want you to ask the Lord, what is Autumn trying to say? And come back to me with your perspective, apology, whatever, whatever needs to happen in the moment changed our marriage it changed everything about it because he would come back yes. and say that exact thing what i heard you say and what mm -hmm. i feel like the lord told me you were trying to say was and i'd be like yes that's exactly what i was saying god is real <laughs> this is a miracle i'm telling you it was a red sea miracle I, you in, know in our I, life. I say at the beginning to lovingly disagree is a lot like learning how to stay in love. Mm. We fall in love with our similarities with someone. Yeah. But you only learn to cultivate a love that stays when you learn to appreciate the other person's differences. Yeah. Like, yeah. and that's actually kind of the stuff that keeps you intrigued as marriage goes on. Mm -hmm. I still can't believe that you like such. There's this beautiful book called A Severe Mercy where they uh, they talk about when they were first married, they would find out the other thing that the person loved that they had no interest in at all, and they would take a class in that thing. Mm. So like oh, that's she, cool. she loved opera, and so he said, I'm going to go take an opera class. <laughs> to, and, and that's kind of, that's really what I'm trying to say in the book is, what if we went from enduring our disagreements to embracing with curiosity what the other person thinks. Yeah. We, uh, two of my younger, youngest kids are adopted and they're, they're, one of them is biracial and one of them is black. And then, you know, there's, there's the four of us, obviously we're Caucasian humans. And I, we adopted them from birth, both of them. So they're eight, you know, they're our babies. But we saw this shift that the Lord prepared us for before we adopted. We knew we were going to adopt children that were not our same race. And it was amazing. Can I just, I could talk to you all day, but it was amazing for Eddie and I to sit down. That's my husband to sit down and listen, Yeah, listen to someone else's perspective, learn how uh, from a different background that we are to be taught by somebody mm -hmm. else who loves the Lord just as much as we do who loves our kids from a different culture. It was amazing. And the Lord, you know, what was that? Eight or nine years ago did such a work on my heart. That's when the Lord really turned my heart to, to exactly this book right here. Um, what if we think we don't agree, but we actually agree, you know, a lot more if we would just sit down and listen. So a, um, I think your quote, you're kind of on what Mark Twain said. He's I th I'm pretty sure it's Mark Twain. He said, Travel is the cure for bigotry. Mm. Oh, yes. So when you yes. travel, what you're That's doing, beautiful. you're sitting down on the couch, hearing another culture, another perspective. You're basically traveling. Um, or as I heard Carlos Whitaker, he was just talking about the uh, Ethiopian is like on a chariot 
and anyways, they're like getting in their chariot. Like mm. it's, it's like getting on the other person's shoes, you know? We reached out and we were like, what do we not know that we need? We know we don't know a lot. Tell me what we need to know and help us when we have situations that we need your help with. And I'm telling you what, it was, I don't know. It was like a wealth of information mm -hmm. that had that barrier not come down and just, I mean, it was absolutely beautiful. And I am a better person because of it. And I feel like it, anyway, we could talk about that forever, but I do feel like it's right in line with your book, Grace and the Gray. You guys, my guest today has been Mike Donna. Hey, that's what I'm going to call you. Um, his book is Grace and the Gray, a more loving way to disagree. He's not saying don't disagree. He's just saying, let's do it in a loving way, guys. Come on. Um, you can get this book anywhere books are sold. I'm assuming it doesn't say this, but I'm assuming you can get it anywhere books are sold, Amazon, whatever, Barnes and Noble. Mike, where can where can everyone reach out to you, follow along, whatever? What's your social handles and website? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike Donahy.com. My name is uh the word done, like I'm done, and then hey, H E Y. Hey. Uh and you know, I'm on the gram. Okay. Sometimes I post things on the talk, but you know, I don't know what's going on over there. It's, I know. it's like a it bunch, of, bunch of cats me. on LSD over there. I don't know. It's like, yeah, it just kind of kind of doesn't have like a thing yet. Um, but yeah, kids. Love I'm it. so thankful that you came on. I I feel like this is so great, guys. Go buy his book. We all need this. I know that some of you guys are like, yeah. I need this. I've lost friends or whatever because I haven't disagreed in a loving way. Now's the time, and this is a great resource. Mike, thanks so much for being on the show today. I really oh, appreciate it. My pleasure. Had a ball. Yeah, I think we went over, but that's typical for me. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening. You know I love you so much. I'll see you next time on the Autumn Mile Show. Have an awesome week. Let's go. That was your bonus miles. To find out more, go to autumnmiles.com.